This is episode 366 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life so you can love your people, get prepared, and live free. Today's articles are How to Prepare Your Children for Emergencies, Disasters, and SHTF, and Headaches, Part 2, Migraines. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey everyone, this episode is sponsored by my new ebook, The Preparedness Community's Guide to a Microbiz and Increasing Your Finances. If you'd like some more information, you can click on the link in the show notes or come on over to theprepperwebsitepodcast.com. Hey, so let's go ahead and jump right into our articles. Our first article comes to us from modernsurvivalonline.com, and the title is How to Prepare Your Children for Emergencies, Disasters, and SHTF. So let's go ahead and jump right in. The scariest thing you'll ever face as a parent is the moment you first realize you cannot protect your children from every danger in this world. Sure, you can have some control over their safety when you're with them, but as they get older, the likelihood increases that they won't be with you when things go horribly wrong. But as a parent or a grandparent, it's your job and your responsibility to make sure your kids can handle themselves in the world, right? So, knowing that your kids might not be with you when something happens, how do you prepare your children for emergencies, disasters, and SHTF? The first thing to do is to assess your child's readiness for information about emergencies, disasters, and an SHTF event. Things to assess include amount of time spent apart from parents or away from home, maturity level, developmental level, and previous experience with emergency situations and survival tasks. It's important to assess the readiness of your child for this type of information and training so you can avoid creating too much fear and anxiety for your child. Focus on building confidence in their ability to handle emergencies, disasters, and even an SHTF event. Teach skills in small-age-appropriate steps through routine activities over a period of years rather than trying to prepare them all at once within a couple of months. If your child is growing up on a farm and learns about the dangers of Mother Nature from a very early age, they may be ready for more information and gear than kids who grow up in more urban environments. Emergencies are typically the short-term events that can happen when you least expect them. When your child experiences a fall during a hike, a motor vehicle accident, witnesses a tractor accident or a boating accident, and you aren't there, they need to know what to do. If they are home alone or at a friend's house without an adult and they suspect an intruder, experience a power outage, or even a house fire, knowing how to respond quickly can be a life or death difference for your child. For emergencies perpetrated by other people, such as a home invasion, a potential kidnapping situation, a violent crowd, or something like a school shooting, how to get to safety quickly should be the priority. Talk to your children about what kinds of emergencies can occur, how to be alert, and what they should do if something happens while they are at school or even at home without your parental supervision. Explain to your child about 911 and give them specific examples of when it's appropriate to call emergency services for help. Make sure they know any cell phone, even if not in service, can be used to dial 911. 
If anyone in the family has a medical illness that may result in them losing consciousness or being disoriented unexpectedly, children should be taught the behaviors that signal a problem. They should know what they can do to help, if anything, and when to simply call 911. Practice these scenarios several times with young children. Teach them how to give their name, the type of emergency, and their address to the 911 dispatcher. For emergencies that don't require a 911 call, make sure they have printed contact information for nearby relatives or trusted neighbors to call. Hey, I think that ability to um, see someone or, or understand the signs of someone who is disoriented uh, or you know loses consciousness or, for instance, is in a diabetic uh, situation, right? Um, I, I'd never seen that before, but one... Uh, one uh, men's conference, uh, my father-in-law tagged along w- with us, and uh, I didn't realize what was going on, but it finally clicked with me what was going on, and he was having a, a, an issue, and so we got him some food to eat. I think he had taken too much of a shot. He was expecting to eat a little bit more for breakfast or something like that. I can't re- remember exactly what it was, but uh, I'd never seen him like that before, and, and luckily I was with other people, and I was able to stay with him and, and kind of keep an eye on him while they went and, and grabbed something else to eat. And so uh, it worked out. But, you know, a kid might not put two and two together. So it would be a real good idea to be able to help them to understand, uh, you know, something you know, something along those lines when it's going on, what kind of signs to look for and what to do in those kinds of situations. All right. So moving on, types of emergencies that could occur where role play is helpful. You find someone, mom, dad, sister, lying on the floor. Talk about what to do if they are conscious but can't move, as well as if the person is confused, unconscious, or bleeding heavily. Door to the home is open when they arrive after school. Playing outside with friends and someone falls, a minor injury like a scraped knee or a bloody nose that doesn't need 911 but needs an adult. Smell smoke when home alone after school or in the middle of the night. Someone knocks on the door after school and insists you open it. A school shooter or they see another student with a knife or gun or someone talk about bringing one to school. An adult follows them as they walk home or to a friend's house. They are confronted by a growling dog, a snake, bear, skunk, or another animal common in your area. What to do if they find or a friend finds a gun while playing. An adult or friend they are riding with appears sleepy, intoxicated, or loses consciousness. And her dad falls from the tractor and is unconscious and bleeding. It's important when preparing your child to handle emergencies that you teach them to know when to call for or go get help first versus when to attempt first aid and then go for help. This is especially important for locations or situations where help may not be readily available or may take a long time to arrive. So how to prepare your children for disasters. It's important to consider the age and maturity level of your child when it comes to natural disasters. Giving a child too much detailed information about the widespread impact of a natural disaster can be harmful if they aren't ready emotionally and developmentally to understand. Focus first on the natural disasters most likely to occur in your local area. When talking to children, teach them the disaster safety procedures and how to get to a safe area with a goal of writing out the disaster until help arrives. Teach your child multiple ways to signal for help in different scenarios. 
Prepare your child, child's version of an everyday carry or an EDC that includes items appropriate for their age and experience. We give you some basic suggestions below. Make sure they know how and when to use any items that are part of their EDC and increase the items as they get older, mature, and gain experience. So types of disasters you may want to prepare your kids for include hurricanes, tornadoes, wildfires, earthquakes, avalanches, and mudslides. Take time to talk with your children about the importance of routinely following safety procedures, how to get to safety in a disaster, and what to do after the immediate danger is over. Talk with older children about what they should do if the adult in charge seems scared or confused, is bleeding heavily, or is unconscious. Kids need to know where you will come for them at school or if they should try to get to a meeting location and wait for you. It's important to know what your school's disaster plan is. If you don't know the plan, ask your school administration questions now so you can prepare your child. Kids who aren't confident their parents will come for them may try to leave the school and go home, which could put them in more danger and result in a longer delay for you to be reunited. Now, uh, again, I want to tell you here, as far as schools and uh, disasters and all those different kinds of things, if it was, you know, my kids when they were in middle school, in, in high school, uh, at that point when I told them, uh, you know, hey, we if there was a school shooter or, or whatever, you know, an EMP, what, we, we had that conversation. I'm like, you're not waiting. You are leaving and you are walking home. And that, you know, there is not... Um, you know, it's not very far, but you are to leave. If there's a school shooter and your teacher is just trying to keep you, you know, uh, locked up and you think you can run for it, you run for it and get out. Um, you know, it, it, I was telling them that way before the run, hide, fight, um, you know, came up to uh, happen. Right. And th- that became a uh, procedure in schools or at least in, in our schools. And so, uh, you know, you're going to have to talk to your kids about that. I do like the uh, the warning there is you really need to know your kids. Every kid is going to be different. And even if they're older, if developmentally they're not able to, to take it, um, you might want to s- start off just a little softer and work up to disasters. Um, again, I've, I've talked about it before, but American Blackout, I think that was helpful, you know, just to be able to see it as a family, that docudrama. And uh, you can still see it on YouTube, but we were able to, um, you know, just just see it and talk about it. And they were able to get an idea of what, you know, things could be like. But, uh, you know, your kid might not be ready for that. So you need to work up to that, you know, talking about those types of things. And, and, you know, kids are smart. So if you're talking about this like all the time, they're going to like, why are you always talking about doom and disaster? I mean, they're, they're going to be just like an adult. Why are you always you know, talking about bad stuff happening? So you got to mix it in there. You got to be smart about how you do it. And, uh, you know, there's ways to spin things and do it in a positive way. All right. So uh, the last section here is how to prepare your children for SHTF. When it comes to an SHTF event, it def- it's difficult to tell your kids exactly what to do because there's no end to the dangers they may face. As long as you are with them, you can guide them, of course. It's always good practice to start teaching your kids to do things for themselves. You can include certain activities in their routine chores that will prepare them to take care of themselves and to cook their own food, build a fire, or use a grill or rocket stove if needed. But when it comes to an SHTF situation, you want to prepare your kids So they know what to do to survive if, God forbid, you aren't around to tell them what to do. 
So prepare your kids for SHTF by teaching ways to pay attention to changes in the weather and the importance of dressing appropriately for the weather, ways to avoid dangers and confrontations, get to your designated safe room or family meeting place, find, collect, and purify water, keep any information about prepping and supplies they have to themselves, forage for wild edibles, and how to determine what things are safe to eat. Start a fire or use other methods to stay warm. Build a shelter from things they find around them. Ways to defend themselves or assist you in defending your home and property. How to hunt or grow food. How to preserve and stockpile food. Rotate it and why it's important. When the SHTF, the world will be in chaos. It will be important for your kids to understand that if you tell them to be quiet during this chaos, they must obey. With young children, you can make it a little more fun by practicing the quiet game to avoid scaring them too much. With older children, you can stress the importance of staying quiet when told or when they hear someone outside. The more activities and tasks you practice with your kids during normal times, the more likely they will be prepared to react and get to safety post-SHTF, even if you aren't there to tell them what to do. So some general things to teach to prepare your children for emergencies, disasters, and SHTF include their first and last name, their full address, telephone number, and the names of their parents, the name and telephone number of at least one other nearby relative and one relative or trusted friend outside of the local area, how to make a sling for an injured arm with a t-shirt, bandana, or a small blanket, what first aid kits look like and where they are located in your home, at school, etc. How to use a fire extinguisher and other ways to put out small fires and what to use for grease fires, chemical fires, etc. Age appropriate. For younger children, the focus should be on getting out to safety and notifying an adult. Where to find flashlights and extra batteries and how to replace them. Of course, age appropriate. Ways to signal for help using a whistle, bright clothing, sticks or rocks in a clearing, smoke signals as appropriate for their age, and how to use some or all of the items in a first aid kit if needed, of course age appropriate. Instill a check-in plan even during normal times. When your child is ready, they can have their own cell phone to communicate with you via text when they are at a friend's or within range of public Wi-Fi. Have an agreed time period for your child to check in with you by text or in person when they are playing in the yard, in the neighborhood, or at a friend's house. It can be every 30 to 90 minutes for younger children, every 4 to 6 hours for older children who know, who you know are in a safe location. Once they are old enough to have cell phone service, have them practice calling you and other trusted adults to check in by phone so that you are comfortable with their ability to call for help if needed. Children should be taught to check in with you anytime they want to change locations. This means before going from Bobby's house to Sam's house to play, they must check in and get a response from you first. This is important because in an unexpected emergency, especially if communication systems are down, you need to know exactly where, where they are so you can get to them quickly. Have an agreed plan of action if they forget to check in or if they attempt to check in and you don't respond. For example, check in with me every 90 minutes. If you don't check in, I will try to text you or call you twice. And if you don't answer, then I'm coming to get you. Or check in with me every 90 minutes. If I am not home when you check in, stay home till I arrive. Call grandma, go to the neighbors, go back to your friend's house and stay there or any other action you want them to follow. 
having this plan during normal times gets them into the habit of checking in using various means to communicate with you or other trusted adults and teaches them what they should do if they can't contact you right away. So EDC product suggestions for children for emergencies, disasters, and SHTF. Toddlers aren't at all ready to be unsupervised, but you can start instilling the habit of EDC even at this young age. It's developmentally natural for young kids to copy what they see adults doing. So if you put on your EDC every morning, like keys, phone, wallet, etc., you can give toddlers an elementary age kids safe item for their own EDC. Items such as a toy flashlight, keys, a pretend phone, etc., As they get older and mature, you can replace your toy EDC gear with actual working gear. Flashlights are a great item to allow kids of all ages to have as part of their EDC because many kids have a fear of the dark. Having their own light teaches them responsibility and also gives them confidence and helps them feel safe whether they are taking the garbage out after dark, reading in their room at night, camping out in the backyard, or during an unexpected power outage. Preschool kids might enjoy something like the Melissa and Doug Blaze Firefly flashlight. Batteries can be extremely harmful for young children, so make sure whatever you provide, the battery compartment can't be opened by your child. The Energizer Weather Ready Rechargeable Flashlight is great for elementary age kids because it is virtually indestructible and doesn't use batteries at all. It's rechargeable via a hand crank. For middle school and high school age kids, consider a mini flashlight keychain with micro USB by SDE Now to light their way when darkness falls. Keys. Whether it's a set of pretend keys for your infant or toddler or an actual house key on a lanyard or keychain clipped to their backpack, kids of all ages can get used to carrying and being responsible for keys as part of their EDC. It's an important habit that will serve them well as an adult also. Cell phones aren't age-appropriate for infant, toddlers, or young elementary-aged children, of course, but there are plenty of pretend cell phones available that your child can get used to carrying and being responsible for as part of their EDC. Elementary-aged children can even carry your old cell phone for emergency calls only. Have them be responsible for checking the battery level periodically and bringing it to you to be recharged. Even a phone with no cell phone service can be used to dial 911 in an emergency. They can also practice dialing your number and the numbers of trusted relatives. For younger children, you may want to consider a walkie-talkie for emergency communication and for checking in while playing in the yard or around the neighborhood. Add items to your child's EDC kit as you deem appropriate. Some items to consider depending on age, maturity level, and experience include... A whistle. Or whistles are great items for kids to have as part of their EDC. You can teach them to stay in one spot and use the whistle if they are separated from you during a hike, another outdoor activity, or even in an emergency if someone attempts to grab them while playing in the yard. The Colands four-function whistle is great for kids that are elementary age and up. It includes the whistle, a compass, magnifying glass, and a thermometer. A bandana or shema is a great item for a child's EDC because it is lightweight and can be used to protect the nose and mouth against smoke from a fire, to carry kindling, to filter water, carry nuts and berries, or even DIY a sling for an injured arm. A compass can help kids to find their way if they do get off the beaten path in the woods or while on a hike. 
make sure they know how to use the compass correctly and that you've checked the compass for accuracy before they need to use it in a real world emergency. A key ring or a lanyard with a whistle to signal for help and maybe a cash cylinder with space for change or dollars to be used if they need money for the bus or cab fare. Children who are mature enough and experienced can add a fire striker or a waterproof container with matches. And personal hygiene items such as chapstick or lip balm, anti-itch cream for bug bite relief and sunscreen. If your child has a food or other allergy and is mature enough, you may want to include a pill case with a single dose of their allergy medicine or for an EpiPen for life-threatening allergies. Preparing your children for emergencies, disasters, and SHTF is truly a lifelong process, but it can be done without scaring them as part of their routine activities. You can start with small things when they are very young and gradually teach them more over time. With a little planning and guidance, your child will be better prepared to handle themselves no matter what life may throw at them. All right, great article here, and I hope uh, those of you that are parents and grandparents really take this into account. You know, think about it this way. When you first, when your eyes were first opened up to preparedness and you first realized how fragile our world is and, you know, being prepared is not a bad thing, you know, it's very easy to get sucked in with a little bit of fear. And so just think about how that's multiplied to a kid who doesn't have all the the mental capabilities that you have and can, you know, gets to the point where finally after the fear kind of subsides a little bit, they're able to reason and they're able to think things through, right? And usually that winds up happening for adults, uh, you know, unless they really go off the, the rails over here. But uh, for a kid, you know, that can, that can happen and it can be easily overwhelmed when you're throwing a lot at them. And so just keep that into account. You want to be smart about the way you do it. You want to, you know, build uh, slowly on the preparedness for them and building those skills. There's a lot of things that you can do in providing skills for them that you don't have to do it in the context of uh, emergency preparedness or, you know, whatever, you know, all that kind of stuff. I mean, you can go camping. You can do you know, all those different kinds of things. You can do projects at home and, you know, in a roundabout way, come up and you're teaching these, t- teaching them skills, right? Like building a water filter at home and you can walk them through how to do that and that can just be like a summer project or a weekend project but you know you you walk them through how to do it if they ever needed to you can even go through you know the the process of testing it you know and seeing what kind of uh, results you get from a home water test and things like that so uh, you know a lot of great information here you know and uh, the kids I, i'll tell you this once they get to a certain age it's hard to really kind of wrap get, wrap them back into preparedness. So the younger you can kind of start building those skills in there, the better it is for you. Um, you know, sometimes if they're, they are older, it is, you know, some of them are a little bit more apt to, you know, outdoor activities and things like that. You, you can go ahead and grab them and, uh, you know, you might be able to influence them a little bit. But, uh, you know, when they get into the upper teenage years and they're like into girls and cars and working and money and and all the you know sports and all that other kind of stuff it's really hard to to bring them back to a place where you can start to build these skills or let's just say you're going to have a harder time 
So, uh, you know, definitely starting out young is the best. And so a great article for parents and grandparents. You know, there's a lot of grandparents. I know that their kid, their grandkids come and spend weeks or two weeks out of the, you know, the summer with them. And that's a great time for you to have some fun and build skills there. So, guys, again, that's over at ModernSurvivalOnline.com. Like always, I want to link to it in the show notes. All right, last week I read an article from doomandbloom.net and it was about headaches. And uh, it was a little overview and or specifically they talked about the it was an overview and then talked about uh, tension headaches. Um, this article here is part two and it's talking about migraines. It's a very short article, but I'll tell you, it's one that I think a lot of people suffer from. And so I wanted to read this one to, for you and then... Um, I'll just touch on on something at the very, very end. So let's go ahead and read this one from doomandbloom.net, Headaches Part 2, Migraines. In Part 1 of this series, I mentioned that headaches might be just an annoyance to some, but a dangerous sign of a serious medical issue to others. They can be caused simply by tension and stress, a case of the flu, or by something as life-threatening as a stroke. Last time we talked about tension headaches and other basics, but there are various different types of headaches. One that can really make you miserable is the migraine. So a migraine is a disorder that affects nearly 15% of the world's population and is characterized by repetitive episodes of moderate to severe headaches. In general, it's more common in women than men, starting as a teenager or young adult and reaching a peak in the late 30s or early 40s. The exact cause of migraines is a matter of some debate. They are thought by some to be related to spasms in the blood vessels. Others believe environmental factors are to blame, and still others consider it some misfiring of nerve cells. There may be some genetic aspect as well as they seem to run in families. There are four phases to a migraine, although not everyone experiences all of them. Number one, the prodrome, which occurs hours or days before the headache. Number two, the aura, which immediately precedes the headache. Number three, the pain phrase, the actual headache. And number four, the post-drome, the effects experienced following the end of a migraine attack. So the prodrome. Prodromal symptoms occur in the majority of migraine sufferers. They represent essentially a premonition that there's a migraine in your future. Prodromes can start anywhere from two hours to two days before the actual headache and includes all sorts of symptoms including mood swings, fatigue, stiff neck, GI irregularity, increased sensitivity to noise or smells, and food cravings. The auras. A prodrome may be followed by an aura. An aura is an unusual sensory effect that usually precedes a headache but is not uncommonly part of the headache itself. Symptoms can be strange visual phenomenon, the most common, unusual sensations, and other irregularities. Many people experience their own set. And then the actual headache. The actual migraine headache, the pain phase, can last 2 to 72 hours and has certain signs and symptoms. They are usually one-sided, throbbing in nature, nausea-inducing, sometimes causing vomiting and other GI symptoms, pain-inducing when looking at light sources, causative of visual changes such as blurring lights and color phenomenon, and made worse by physical activity. There are, of course, variations to to the above and different persons will experience different symptoms. For example, in a significant minority of cases, the pain is on both sides of the head 
or involves the neck. In others, dizziness and confusion are part of the symptoms complex. The postrome. After the headache has subsided, a lot of people report soreness in the area and a foggy feeling similar to a hangover for a time, as well as weakness and other symptoms. So the treatment. As you might expect, initial treatment for a mild migraine simply involves bed rest in a dark, quiet room and ibuprofen or Advil or acetaminophen, Tylenol. If that fails, consider a combination of acetaminophen, aspirin, and caffeine, each of which has known beneficial effects. Some older medications like ergotamine, sometimes combined with caffeine, are still prescribed for migraine. Some come in nasal sprays. Some of these meds can cause spasms of the coronary arteries, so if you have a high risk of heart attack, they may not be for you. Another family of drugs that works to relieve migraines are in the tryptan family, the most popular being sumatriptan or imatrex. These are effective against both pain and nausea in the majority of patients and are often given when similar treatments fail. Taken in combination with naproxen or Aleve, they are even stronger in their effectiveness. Some medications are thought to have a preventative effect against migraines, including volproate, metrolol, Topramite and others. In the next part of the series of headaches, we'll talk about natural treatments for migraines and discuss sinus headaches as well. All right, guys, what I wanted to talk about here is my wife suffers from migraines. And, uh, you know, I, I think I've mentioned before one of the reasons why she even uh, uses essential oils was because there was a, a, an episode where um, she had a, a really strong migraine and she had taken, you know, you know, the big heavy medicine and nothing had helped. And I had some peppermint oil. And uh, it was like the first I ever bought and put it on and it really, it really helped to cool her head and it really helped her out a little bit. And I didn't take it away, but it helped to deaden it just a little bit. The other thing that she did and she, she got a piercing. So she had, there's times where she would be out for days and uh, I mean, she still functioned. She still went to work. She still did all that kind of stuff, but she was just worn out and the migraines were just, um, I mean, they were just tough, right? And it's hard to see someone when they're suffering like that. Um, but she went and got a piercing called a daith piercing. And it, it, they pierce through cartilage in your ear. And, uh, you know, you, you need to go ahead and research it very, you know, very carefully uh, if you're interested in doing this. But uh, we found a place and normally you're going to go to like a tattoo parlor, a piercing parlor to do this. You know, your doctor's not going to do this. But uh, we found a good one that was rated very high and uh, other people had gone to it, had a lot of great reviews. It was, you know, close to our house and we went and uh, she got it done. And, uh, you know, it really has helped a lot. Um, There's times where, you know, like she's like, you know, I know right now I would be having a migraine. Like I feel like I would be having a migraine. So I feel a little, a little funny, but I don't have my full blown migraine. And so uh, it has helped tremendously. I know other people who have suffered from migraines, uh, teachers who went and got the date piercing. And, you know, it is it is a little painful, you know, um, to get this. You're going through cartilage and then you got to you got to wash it. You got to take care of it and all that kind of stuff. Um, But, you know, they swear they swear by it. And uh, there's other people that I know that suffer from migraines. And when they're out, like they, they are out. And I've recommended this to them and, and they just, I don't know, maybe the pain 
is uh, too much for them. But then uh, you know, I had someone in the same kind of predicament and, and they had a big uh, migraine episode and they finally said, you know what, I'm going to go get that stupid piercing and it helped. So anyway, again, it's called a Daith piercing. I think it's D-A-I-T-H. Uh, and, uh, you know, go go check it out. And that might be for you if you're someone who suffers from migraines. Um, I just, I know that uh, my wife has had a good experience from getting that done. Uh, she's, she says that she would go through the piercing all over again, you know, if, uh, if, if she needed to. Because this procedure helped so much for her. So guys, again, that's uh, Headaches. Uh, part two, migraines over at doomandbloom.net. Like always, I'm going to link to it in the show notes. Well, everyone, that is it for episode 366. Thanks for hanging out with me today. Hey, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Head on over to the Prepper website, podcast.com. That way you never miss another episode of Sweet Prepper Goodness. And take a moment to connect with me. I have a ton of ways to connect in the show notes. And with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.